Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by returning guest, Brian Fox, who is very prominent within libertarian circles all across the country. Um, I'm fortunate he is also here in Louisville, Kentucky, and he's someone who I really think does a great job at articulating a libertarian argument, and specifically to people who are currently identifying as Republicans. Uh, very fascinating conversations every time he comes on. So really appreciate Brian being on the episode. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jujitsu program for adults, female friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by returning guest, Brian Fox, is in studio with me today. Brian, how are you? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, We had spoken a few times recently about doing another episode, and one of the themes that you and I had kind of agreed uh, would be good to run with during our episodes would be uh, messaging, okay, talking politics, of course, but specifically articulating a stance that is, of course, not progressive left, okay, but is not Republican. Correct. And differentiating between a good principled libertarian stance versus someone who just does not like the left. So by default, they are maybe MAGA or whatever type of a Republican. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think a lot of it was um, kind of a little bit uh, inspired by the idea of how did we find ourselves to liberty and um, me being a I guess former Republican, there's a lot of value in understanding the differences between, let's just say, traditional conservatives and libertarians. And I'd like to... uh, kind of initiate that or premise that by saying for the most part a principled constitutional conservative and a 
let's just say a mainstream or common libertarian are virtually identical in most respects. Mm. I would say that uh, for the most part, libertarians in terms of people that uh, just believe in constitutional limited government in terms of just the idea of the less government, the better and constitutional conservatives are pretty much in, you know, you can't, you can't, they're indistinguishable. Um, In many ways, Ron Paul was that way. So, um, so Thomas Massey is like that as well. So you're saying constitutional conservatives, meaning small government, what our country was originally founded on. Uh, the philosophy of not doing too much, of just the bare minimum of just to get by, abiding by the principles of accountability, and not doing anything that you really don't have to that's not outlined within the Constitution. Strong federalism, deferring to the Tenth Amendment, meaning if it's not in the Constitution for the federal government, leave it to the states. Mm. And so in that respect, a lot of traditional constitutional conservatives are very much like libertarians. Now, libertarians do come in many shapes and sizes and colors. And of course, just like, you know, conservatives have different views on different things and take things to different extremes. And of course me, I am an anarcho-capitalist, which is a much, you know, it's kind of further down the rabbit hole, but in terms of finding my way to liberty and how is liberty, you know, separate from constitutional conservatism, I would say they're very similar and that the distinctions are very small. It's just when you go further down the rabbit hole towards, let's say, a stateless society or how far we want it to be limited, then there's some discrepancies. Yeah, and I think you can connect some dots and get to some maybe foreign policy type conversations. Correct. If you're comparing like maybe on the uh, popular front in today's media world, Dennis Prager is viewed as being maybe constitutional conservative. Mm. In some ways, I think so. Here's Are you familiar what, with Prager? Yeah, I am. And I would say this: here's what's kind of funny. Um, I've known a lot of people over the years, especially since I became a libertarian, probably closer to 2012 is when I feel like that's when things shifted for me philosophically. Every time I talk to somebody who considers themselves a conservative, our ideas of limited government, transparency, accountability you know, less is more. We're pretty much always on the same page. Usually the difference is an approach to how we shape policy and the domestic posture in terms of how do we do things? What's the appropriate role for government? Which is kind of funny because then that lends back to limited government. There should be no question of what the government does if you abide by the principles of the constitution. So there's that little bit of that gray area. And how would that play into Dennis Prager? Where where, where would he fall on that spectrum? Because it's very interesting. He's the ultimate like Zionist. Right. I think with that, you got to look at the foreign policy aspect, of course, first, which is going to be glaringly obvious. Because that does trickle down into a lot of the domestic uh, spending and all that. And I think, and this goes kind of goes back to what we were originally thinking about talking about in regards to, Republicans versus libertarians, usually the idea of isolationism is one of the biggest things that comes up between like Republicans versus libertarians. They say that Mm. libertarians are isolationists, that we just want to bury our head in the sand and pretend that evil doesn't exist around the world. And Ron Paul would say we're not isolationists, we are non-interventionists. I would even go so far as to say is we promote 
um, mm, the opposite of, of isolation. Uh, yeah, exactly. Free trade. We promote, you know, market involvement, you know, diplomacy, all kinds of good stuff that we want to be involved to help have healthy relationships abroad. What we don't want to have is that sort of military-based kind of premise, sort of we're going to send you weapons, and then the other aspect is, is, is we're going to meddle into your elections, which is a big part of what we do. So libertarians are very, let's just say an antagonistic approach is what a lot of Republicans tend to have. And here's the funny thing. They tend not to view it as being antagonistic. I, that's they what view, I was going to say. They view it as a, like this noble Captain America, we're going to save the world from evil, which is very interesting because I used to be one of those people. We're going to fight them over there so we don't fight them over here. They're very bad people that need to be confronted. And if we don't confront evil, then evil goes unchecked. Well, that's actually kind of bullshit. And here's the funny part about that. I think when it comes to whether it's a constitutional conservative approach or even a libertarian approach, a couple things need to be understood. Not everything's going to be perfect. Not everything's going to be great. Let's just say, let's just talk free markets. If you have a truly free market, that'll be great in terms of principle, but you have to reconcile that with the fact that, yes, there's going to be a lot of situations unless in which there's going to be pain and suffering because there will be consequences for people's choices and behaviors in which you won't have that safety net that they currently enjoy. Likewise, so you're talking about this... Uh, taking away some of the welfare type, correct. type programs. Correct. I apologize, I missed it. How does that tie into the free market? So, so in the free market, there would be no social benefit program. Okay, of any in kind. a truly libertarian yes. society, we would not have as many like food you wouldn't stamps. Ha- you wouldn't have regulations even. And okay. people would like scream like, well, who's going to, you know, how clean air, clean water, clean food, all that kind of stuff. So you're all, talking domestic stuff. Correct. And so people go out of their minds thinking, how can we have a safe and, you know, prosperous society without, you know, regulations and oversights? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously we have more regulations and oversights than we've ever had before. And yet our society is really struggling and we have a lot of problems. On the flip side, the way you apply that over, you know, overseas with, you know, international, you know, affairs. The mantra of conservatives is the government doesn't need to tell us what to do. But ironically, we want our government to tell other people what to do. The funny thing about it also is there's this idea that we're fighting bad people overseas. Always. Always. They're always, the other people are always the bad guys. The other assumption is that means that we're the good guy. (laughs) Well, that would have to ignore all the different ways in which we have either instigated or outright provoked and started you know, hostilities abroad or even lied about what has been happening to get ourselves involved every time. Yes. Or but there's arguably a, every time. And a lot of that goes to the idea of what is your worldview of your government and the role of your government. There is a lot of people that consider themselves Republicans that consider the USA to be Captain America, that we pretty much, we don't do anything wrong. We're always the first ones to send foreign aid and help other people in times of tragedy we're the good guys. We're not the terrorists. In some respects, that's true. In many respects, that's not. And they true. would not say we're always. You know, I, I know what you. I agree with you. They wouldn't say that we always do everything right, but we we at least are trying to do the right thing all the time, it and t- we always have transparent motives, and we are trying to promote democracy abroad. We have eight hundred U.S. 
military bases worldwide in spread out across 80 different countries. Now, to play devil's advocate, I remember the first time I heard that, probably around 2006, 2007. And I thought to myself, yes, but keep in mind, a military installation could be something as simple as a PX, a DOD department store, some kind of, you know, I don't know, some kind of utility facility or something like that. It could be a lot of different things that are either run by the DOD or the State Department that are considered an installation, when in reality, it's just U.S. property. Okay. So it's not exactly like we have literally a base with tanks and airplanes, 800 of those everywhere. That's to play devil's advocate. I did not come around on a lot of this stuff just one day waking up realizing, oh, this, you know, this idea of, you know, big government republicanism, you know, the neocon approach was bad. No, there was a there was a process. There were things that I had to change my mind on over time. Honestly, one of the first things I had to realize, and this was probably easiest for me to do at around 2004, 2005, realizing the hypocrisy, the duplicity, and the utter failures of the Republican approach to governing. Realizing that everything we espoused and everything that we talked about, that we truly believed in terms of you know being a conservative, having limited government, was absolute crap compared to what they were actually doing while they held you know both houses of Congress and the presidency. There was nothing about the Bush presidency or Congress I think it was Dennis Hassard at the time. Oh, my God. There was nothing conservative about that whatsoever. They were spending. They were out of control. They were not living by their principles in any way, shape, or form. Hassard was a great guy, huh? Oh, my God. He was terrible. A horrible kid rapist. Oh, I don't even want to. You don't even have to get into that part just to realize. Just just, his substance of what he did while in office. Just politics alone, they were trash. Aside from the the, the, people. So coming to terms with that was probably the very first step that I took to realizing, okay, maybe the Republican Party isn't as noble as I gave them credit for. And that was about 2005 or 2006? Yeah, it was prior to 2006, I would say. And so that's when I was at least open to the idea that the Republican Party can and should be criticized. Take it a step further, started thinking about, well, if I really do believe in limited government and if I really do want something that represents principles within government, how do we get there? Well, you have to have accountability. Well, how do we have accountability right now? Well, you're supposed to have checks and balances, you know, oversight committees. Well, how has that been working so far? Because right now we have a bigger government than we've ever had before. Even back then we still 2005, had... 2005, 2006. So we still had... Just, Even before the 2007, so 2008 the, issue. And so a good friend of mine, we were having this chat about it. And, uh, you know, we were talking about, well, how do you have oversight for the government when obviously it's not working? And it's like the rhetorical question, who watches the watchers? Mm-hmm. clearly we have checks and balances according to the way things are structured, but it's not working that way. So I would say that was kind of my first, what I would call a red pill to realizing <coughs> you can have the structure set up to work a certain way, but the people involved either have to abide by it or they just choose to ignore it. Obviously, they've chosen to ignore it for many, many years. So that was my red pill into realizing that the government, as it's set up, doesn't work the way that we as intended. Now, this this episode is designed for hopefully normies who are Republicans. What's red pill? Red pill simply means you've had an awakening or a realization that things that you, the way you see things, saw things before, are different now. You're realizing, oh, it's different. It's kind of like comes from the Matrix, the red pill and the blue pill. 
Neo's in the Matrix. He's offered a blue pill to stay in the false reality that he's always known, to believe that everything that he thought was real is real, or he can take the red pill and wake up to the true reality and see things for what they are. Okay, I interrupted you. Sorry, so that's the red pill. (coughs) So... That was the red pill of realizing that government doesn't actually work the way that it's supposed to, and then what is the solution for this? So part of that was, what is the base of the problem? Where does the problem come from? Power. The base of the problem with government is power, meaning as long as there's power to be bought, there will power will be sold. That's why when you hear even Democrats talking about, let's just say that there's too much corruption, Okay, that's a good observation that there's too much corruption, but why is there corruption? There's corruption because there's power. You know, Boeing and Big Pharma, the military industrial complex, all these big businesses, they're not spending their money just because they think that these guys, you know, look great and sound, you know, like have like great platitudes. No, there's power to be bought. And so you cannot weed out corruption unless you remove the source of the corruption. So simply passing laws and trying to put things in check. Well, we already have laws, but laws don't stop people from doing what they want to do anyway. So that kind of brought it in for me really close to home that the structure as it is does not work. So you need to limit that structure as much as possible, remove that power as much as possible. That's where the whole libertarian argument of how long does it take to go from being a libertarian to being an anarchist? How, what's the difference? What's the difference? It's six months. Yes. For me, it was actually a little bit longer because I will say that I had a lot of problems with becoming an ANCAP, but that's probably another discussion. But just to understand- Because the word anarchy scares you? <laughs> it did. It and naturally will, scares people. You think of bottles going into buildings, explosions. I will say that there was a few topics that I had to reconcile to come around to that. But once I did, it was just a world of difference and it made perfect sense. Okay. Um, the bigger issue is Republicans understanding where Republicans go from the ones that are the true believers that think, okay, I believe in limited government, but I don't consider myself a libertarian and I want to really believe that the Republican Party has these virtues. That's our target audience for this episode. Yes, and I would say this. How is that working out for you so far? Think about it this way. The current Republican leadership, you know, Mitch McConnell and Andrew McCarthy, they're they're as big government as Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. So if you're honest with yourself, the people running the Republican Party are not in any way, shape, or form concerned with principles. Well, we just need to change out the leadership. Well, how are you going to do that? So I discussed this on Facebook not too long ago. The, uh, the idea of, well, what if we just had a bunch of Thomas Masseys in government? Wouldn't that really work? Well, how, what, is this, what is the makeup of Congress? You have to have 435 members of Congress. And to have a majority, I think you need at least 218. Okay. So let's just get 218 Thomas Masseys or people that are close to Thomas Massey. Sounds like a great idea to get a governing majority that is principled. Where are you going to find 218 districts to vote in a principled conservative like Thomas Massey? In theory, if it could happen, it'd be great. Great. It'd be show, be- me, show me how you're going to make that yeah, happen. Yeah, it'd be better than we're doing now. <laughs> but the point is... Not again, realistic. Exactly. You're not going to get there. That's why the establishment is run by people who have power because 
their base comes from people who are in different districts who don't value liberty the way they they want big government in a lot of ways. That is the reality is the people that want big government outnumber the people who want personal liberty at least two to three to one. Can I ask you a question? You said McCarthy and McConnell are Republicans, but you said they're really not principled. Why would we even think they're principled? I know this sounds silly in elementary. What does being principled mean? What, 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 you said that very confidently. First, yeah, first, you said that. I know this yeah. is a softball, but that's the, the, the premise of this ask, episode. What's principled? Why are they not principled? First of all, you have to ask yourself, what is the principle? What is limited government? Is it less spending? Is it less bureaucracy? Is it less government interference into your personal life? I say all of the above and then some. Do they even claim to be small government, though? I don't think so. I no, think they, they don't really. I think, I think, I think your average claim- voter might, Republican voter might, if you asked them their, their I mean, their I would say this. Mitch McConnell doesn't. Mitch McConnell's very clever. He doesn't say a whole lot of anything. He's a politician. It's, He's the best. It, on the flip side, then you have Andrew McCarthy, who definitely does speak out a lot. He talks a good game about it being a conservative. Maybe in some ways they're cultural conservatives. In some ways, maybe, but that's about it. For the most part, they're the. They are actually more true to the caricature of more caring about big business and special interests than they are about principles, limited government, or anything like that. Okay. So to you, that's... So an example, the word principle, okay? I know this is very elementary, and I'm fiscal, really breaking fi- it down. Fiscal, fiscal sanity. Okay, what's that mean, though? Fiscal Break sanity. it down like a second grader so could fis- understand this. What does being principled even mean? So because this is a recurring theme. Why is it important? What does it mean? Give me an example not related to politics. What is being principled? Act like a second grader is trying to learn. You have a barrier that you, you have a line that you will not cross, meaning you will not go into debt. You will not spend more than you take in. There are certain behaviors that you will not do. What's an example away from politics where you could be principled? To, I, I, people don't grasp this, I don't think. So, I so think what is being principled? Plus say principle could mean like say if you're a married man you don't you know you stay faithful to your wife okay if you uh, claim that you're going to be faithful then regardless of the situation you're in you actually are faithful correct so it's being staying true to a rule regardless of the content the the circumstances that are pushing you against that rule okay so if you're anti-war you don't justify war. <laughs> yeah you're anti-war <laughs> but then you're like well, let's let's spend Ukraine, a lot of money. Let's give you know billions to Ukraine. Ukraine does need help. I thought you said you're anti-war, Bernie Sanders. Well, they need help. Well, you're feeding war. So, so that's an example of not being principled. I know I'm dumbing it down. I don't mean to be rude to any of our listeners, but being principled is at its core really what we're describing. Now, again, we could go back to for the for you know to play devil's advocate for the Republicans listening. They could say, well, we just don't have enough of the right people. Again, that's true. I would tend to agree with that. Here's the problem, at least on the federal level. You're never going to get enough of the right people. You have to accept that there's no way you're going to get 218 principled conservatives elected to Congress to change Congress. You got like Mike Lee, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey. You're not going to get because you got to consider where are you going to find 218 districts that will vote a strict constitutionalist you're not you're just not going to find that many there's just not that many there's too many the population the different places within you know the united states you're just not going to find enough people that value that that will vote for that okay so you're you're diving in there to how plausible or realistic is it to implement a liberty centric uh strategy 
the implementation of that through the Republican Party, you're kind of dispelling that, saying it's not realistic. Super religious Utah, you got all these Mormons. They voted for Mike Lee. Somehow it worked. He's and con- Romney. And Romney. They okay. voted for Romney. So, oh, my God. So it's like, you, so I, and you said dispel, and that's a really good word for getting people to come around to realizing the idea of what you think the Republican Party should be. The idea of what you want the Republican Party. We got to start there because a lot of people don't even know. They know they don't like the progressive less left, which I don't either. Calling everyone racist, calling black people racist because they're yeah. maybe they don't. Uh, and uh, they're think, not big lefties. And, and, and I think they, it's so just wor- the craziest shit in the world is the progressive left. We and all I agree on that. Wor- and I think it's also worth saying that most Republicans that I've met personally generally speaking, are very good people with very good intentions. They might say some cross things about, you know, especially when it comes to war, when it comes to, you know, the police. There's a lot of things that they're very unashamed of. But I would say for the most part, they have very good intentions and motives. I think the problem is, is they're not able to reconcile the desires and the ideas that they what they want in their government versus the reality of that government. So if they can come to terms with that, if they can in some way have a very sober view of the reality of government, then maybe they can understand, okay, so what do we do? Okay, so Mr. Libertarian guy, you're telling me that the Republican Party will never be what we want it to be. So what's your solution? This that, third party that gets almost none of the vote and makes 1. no change? 1.2% for Joe Jorgensen, 1.2, I think, so or 1.4. I'm a part of the Mises Caucus of the Libertarian Party. And the entire premise of our caucus was to use the Libertarian Party as a platform, as a, how shall we say, a megaphone to share the message. The idea is the more you can plant seeds of liberty amongst people to get them, let's just say, red-pilled into the idea that the status quo is untenable and that the ideas and the promises of the Republican Party and the Democrat Party are just absolute horseshit, then you can get them to come around to realize, okay, we need something else because these aren't working. So that's the goal of the Libertarian Party as run by the Mises Caucus is to share the message of liberty for other people to come around and to join us. And eventually the Libertarian Party will be a party to be reckoned with. And then at that point we will have a voice and we can awaken more people and get more people to come on board to where we can affect the vote and that we are a real player at the table to come around to realizing, okay, this duopoly system is not working, has never worked, and there's got to be another way to approach this. Um, Not that you and I are debating, not that we are, but we almost could probably find some uh, implementation strategy type areas that maybe we disagree on. In my mind, even if the Libertarian Party does not develop into a true contender, a true player, because that's one of the big... Uh, Knox is they're not going to win why vote for them you get to support something that you actually believe in okay you you get to tell your kids hey I support this this is what I think's best I'm going to support this and I'm going to preach to as many people who will listen that this is what is best um, and you get to feel good about supporting something that you actually believe can help your country in the future especially uh, once you get to the point where you acknowledge the Democrats aren't shit the Republicans aren't shit that's the first step um, so even if they don't win, if there is a Brad Barron running against a Mitch McConnell, you should vote for Brad Barron every time. If there's a Rand Paul running against a, uh, what's the one guy, the Democrat, um, black guy from Louisville, 
Oh, uh, Booker. Charles Booker. Okay. Rand Paul's a Republican. Booker's a Democrat. Shitty Democrat. Very, very shitty. Pro-war socialist. Very bizarre. Um, you vote for Rand Paul because he's better. Okay. So you have a principled approach to actually voting, not just for the red or the blue team, but or even just the gold team, but like voting for what you think is actually best. I know it sounds very simple, um, but that, as long as you are doing that, you should be able to feel good about your contribution to society. How would you poke holes in that strategy I just described? Um, I would say you don't even have to feel good about it because you're, here's the problem that I see. And this is something that I've actually had to resolve myself for the last couple of years to really be all in on the Libertarian Party. You have to go through a couple of election cycles of being disillusioned with the idea of winning and changing before you come around to realizing mm. that this isn't actually going to work. Mm. The problem a lot of Republicans have right now is they believe that they can win with the Republican Party. If Trump you, gets back in office, things will get better. Even when Trump got in office, he was still hamstringed by the establishment. He had very limited success, and what little success he had was undone just as quickly as it was put in. Okay, what if someone's listening and they say, Brian, you don't know what you're talking about. When Trump was in office, gas was relatively inexpensive inflation wasn't where it's at now uh look at all this trump was in office things were good now biden's in office you mean to tell me that when biden's in office things are not worse than when trump was in office brian what's your rebuttal to that who let him who let them win who let the the covid regime take over that all happened under trump well he didn't have a choice trump Trump is the very essence of a lack of principle the very reason why you want principles because of what happened with trump he allowed the economy to shut down. He's still trying He's to take credit for the vaccines. So the whole He's point- trying to take credit for the vaccines still. So I, And 100%. I will say this. I've been through a few election cycles in my time. I remember being a true believer Republican back in the early 2000s, believing all we needed was the right people and the majority, okay. and we can make change. We saw the evolution of the Republican Party through Obama and then through Trump. And with Trump, it looked like, okay, well, maybe some things might actually happen. You've got someone who's not an establishment figure. Maybe he's going to do some things differently that will actually amount to something for some real change. We saw a little bit. We saw the right attitude, and we saw a little bit of an energy to do things that were different than the status quo. I'll grant you that. He did, because he was calling out Jeb Jeb Bush, your brother lied us into war, and these are your donors. He appeared to be calling out corruption. The single greatest thing that Trump gave us was making it okay to call spades in public, to do away with the cordial discourse, the assumption of civility. Okay, this is a war. This is a street fight. There's no need to be civil and polite and respectful. Call spades, spades. And for that, I give him respect. Also, his regulatory posture was very good. His approach was, let's get as rid of as many regulations as possible. That was fantastic. However, as we saw, that can be undone just as quickly as it was implemented. So the people that are lingering on Trump saying that he was undone by the establishment, well, he was the president. He was president during the COVID insanity. The worst parts of it, he was the guy in charge of our country. What was one of the biggest slogans that he he campaigned on? I only hire the best people. I only have the best people running things. I think anybody could admit that was he was terrible in that respect. He appointed a lot of people based on their celebrity status or because they were friends, not because of their expertise or their ability to do the job. Fauci served under Trump. So, the evidence speaks for itself that Trump's leadership in terms of management, 
just was not there. So would you agree with the Republicans listening? I'm not saying this, but I know many sure. listening because we're targeting. I'm going to put it in the description sure. here. This is Brian Fox attacking the Republicans and Kelly. Not too. at all. I'm trying to relate to them to get them to understand, to see things for the way they are, because I used to be one of you. As did I. And uh, I would even go so far as to say that I'm not even asking you to necessarily become a libertarian. I just want you to see the Republican Party for what it really is and understand that it's a futile effort. And going back to what you were saying earlier, the goal is not necessarily to be just content for a principled vote. I would actually argue it's deeper than that. I would say that the the more the end game is to realize maybe we either need to starve the beast or we need to let the beast die. And what I mean by that is if we can't win on merit, on principle, then let's let the left win and whatever that happens, happens. Or we fight and we do things the right way and we earn our way to the top the right way. Will that happen? Probably not. But this is the long game that we're looking at as well. Nobody that's in the Libertarian Party right now actually believes Libertarians are going to take over anytime soon. No. That is not what we're working for. And even the Republicans are already losing it. When's the last time they had the... I heard this on the episode recently. When's the last time they had the majority vote? 2004? I would say that... Republicans have not had the majority vote in this country in a long time, almost 20 years, 18 years. Our goal is what's called decentralization. This is something that Michael Heiss and the the, uh, Mises Caucus is pushing, and it's something I'm a huge believer in. Whether it's secession or federalism, balkanization, whatever... We need to strip D.C. of its power. A lot of that can be done at the state level. So this is where I'm going to throw a little bit of a wrench in this and say, here's where I think that sometimes Republicans can be of value. At the local level, the Republican Party, in some respects, can actually be useful if you get people in there. It's a lot easier to be a principled Republican at the local level than at the federal level. You and I live in Louisville. Many people listening to this episode will be from all over the country, but still, we live in Louisville. Um, Of course, it's like 17th or 16th biggest metro city in the country, so it's Democrat. Has been for a long time. Most recent uh, mayor race was a a Democrat, Greenberg, Greenberg Greenberg against a Republican, Bill DeRuff. What you're saying, and I don't want to misquote you or, or put words into your mouth, is DeRuff could have arguably served more of a principled role as a mayor in this instance, maybe, than the Democrat, than than Greenberg. Would would, you agree with that or no? The opportunity was there. I will say this. My understanding, so DeRuff has a very good reputation as a mayor of J-Town because he managed it well. He's gotten him out of debt, I think. I would also argue that there was a lot of cronyism going on in that city, and that I would also argue that a lot of their policies were not exactly truly free market. So with that being said, was his ability to manage the city much better? Absolutely. Would that be of value? Absolutely. Is that enough? Not even close. Is it better than a Democrat, though? Well, that's a sliding scale. Now, what is better than a Democrat? I would actually say this. Sometimes you need to crater and work your way back up sometimes it's better to better to let something die and then to rebuild right now the republican party is abjectly useless it is basically controlled opposition at best more most republicans that are elected really more care or less care about the power and the enrichment than they do about advancing the principles that most people that consider themselves constitutional conservatives care about they don't there's just not a whole lot in common you vote for them they, pro- they tell you what you want to hear, 
but they don't govern that way. They have a lot of excuses why, but they never do it. So the point is for the Republicans who are saying, what am I going to do? Well, start with this. Be resigned to the fact that you're not going to be in charge. You're not going to be running things for quite some time. What you are going to do is you're not going to support the people who are lying to you. You don't have to vote for the other guy either. Yeah. But you don't lie, but you don't support the people who keep lying to you and promising you things and then turning around and doing the exact opposite. In Kentucky, I voted for Brad Barron. I'm going back to this. We're in Kentucky. You're not suggesting someone should vote for Amy McGrath, the Democrat, against Mitch McConnell. You may very well vote for a losing candidate for the next four to six years. But you vote for Brad Barron, the libertarian who's going to lose. But here's the But problem. you show support. You, they so, here's, so here's what you get. You keep voting for the same Republicans. You keep getting the same Republicans. And then you wonder why you hate the Republicans. But, but a lot of people don't hate the Republicans. They're too caught up in hating that's the why Democrats. I, that's what, They're too I, caught up in hating well, the other side. That's where I would say we have to go back to the point of there's basically two types of Republicans. There's Republicans who are basically just the brothers and sisters of the, Repu- of the Democrat Party. And then there are those who actually have beliefs and principles. Mm. If you're one of those people that has beliefs and principles of limited government, Republican Party really doesn't represent you at all. So you need to come to that point first. Yes. You You differentiate. Am I just a Republican because that's the color shirt I like to wear? Or am I Republican because I actually like the Constitution? I like a small government. Because there's two types. So so let's look at somebody like Thomas Massey or Rand Paul. Well, they're Republicans. Well, of course they are. But they're there as a platform. They're not there assuming that they're going to change anything. Thomas Massey never assumes that he's going to change Congress or change policy based off of his void alone. What he is, he's using it as a platform to call attention to the issues that need that attention, just as he did in you know March 2020 when they were trying to pass that bill with Cares Act. Down. Tell, so, tell the story of that. Well, why I'm, is not, that I'm, sig- not, I'm not very well versed but, on that. But my understanding is the Trump administration put together this bill, the CARES Act, that was going to be the They large- wanted to pass it without even a vote on it. The largest spending act in the history of our country by Which far. Which is actually more accountable for, for inflation than anything that Biden has done. I think it was $2 trillion. Yes. One act. $2.2 trillion, something like that. Thomas Massey was the only member of Congress and then you who have- stood up out of 435 people and he said, no, I'm opposed to this. And Trump, if you're listening and you're Republican, Trump, your hero, he mocked went after, him. He went mocked after, him. He they, called him a third-rate or a second-rate, third-rate politician. He insulted and Andrew, him. And Andrew McCarthy, the Republican leader, vowed to primary him, which they tried to do as well, but failed miserably. So, so because Massey was saying, "Hey guys, this is what contributes to inflation." Look back at his Twitter account; it's all still up there. This is what contributes to inflation. We should all stand up against this. They were like. Fuck you. We don't we don't so like you, Massey. Take, We're not on your team, your, Massey. Yes. Take your favorite Republicans and compare them with everybody else. They are more libertarian than they are Republican. Again, I'm not going to get too hung up on titles, but I'll just say this. When people point to rep- Republicans like Rand Paul, Ron Paul, Thomas Massey, they ran within the Republican Party because at that time, it was the most viable way for them to have a platform for their message and for their policy ideas, which is absolutely perfect and in keeping with what they were wanting to do. However, we're taking over the, we have taken over the Libertarian Party with a goal of getting more people to realize, yes, those people are awesome. However, our party is better suited for that message. We're using that message to get it out there. Now, we're not expecting everybody's going to come on board within the next couple of years or even the next couple of election cycles. But the goal is to get it out there so that eventually within a generation, we will have a groundswell 
of a more of more vibrant movement of people who are liberty minded, or at least people who are not bought and sold by the Republican Party anymore. Okay, now I'm, I try to uh, take a step back, and I probably overdo this, but this is at least my approach. I want to appeal to the guys listening, who are my friends I train jujitsu with, who are my buddies, who are Republicans, and they like me and they know me. And you're a Republican, and to you, I want to say thank you for listening. There, this person, let's call him John, made up person, is a Republican. They're intrigued with what we talk about. They wouldn't say their favorite Republican is Rand Paul or Ron Paul or Thomas Massey, like what you just said. For you and I, we would. And in our mind, for a long time, I've felt <laughs> Rand Paul's the only member of the Senate who stood up to Fauci at all. So he's the MVP. A lot of people, for some strange reason, they don't see it that way. So are you separating the Republicans of the United States into the type that actually supports small government, which would be the people who think Rand Paul and, and, and uh, Thomas Massey are the best, and then there's the other half? Is Absolutely. that what you're saying? Absolutely. Okay. So, so, all right. So let's specify here. Let's make a pitch for the people who are listening, who their favorite member of Congress it's not Thomas Massey, they're a Republican, and they like Dan Crenshaw. What's your pitch to them? I'm sorry to hear that. Why? <laughs> I don't know that I can't appeal to those people. I would say this. Let's just say Dan Crenshaw, for instance. There's a guy who probably is about as bad as John McCain on war. Okay, but a lot of people don't necessarily hear you say that John McCain's bad and know what you're talking about. So let's just say this. Non-interventionalist when it comes to war. We absolutely believe in America's right and ability to defend itself against all enemies who attack us. But the key phrase there is attack us, not our friends, not our allies. People were calling friends yes. this week. Um, I will say this, that uh, I do believe that we should have the means to defend ourselves against anyone who attacks us on the homeland but I do not believe that there's any rhyme or reason that we need to be able to go abroad. There's absolutely no reason for us to have an aircraft carrier, to have an ICBM. It's just it's of no value to us. Other than a deterrent, other than a deterrent, there's really no reason for it. So people who like Dan Crenshaw, people who like a robust military, people who like that traditional... That's a lot work, of Republicans, that is. I would say this, if that's your bag, then the Republican Party is where you belong. Okay. <laughs> and I can stand by that, and I understand that. However, if you claim fiscal sanity, that's not that does not go hand in hand with the military industrial complex. It does not. Leaving people alone within the marketplace or in their private lives, the Republican Party is not where you want to be at either. If you want anything that resembles accountability, the Republican Party is not where you want to be. So if you are a big supporter of the military, what that means among Republicans, once again, I know I'm being repetitive, your message to them is this episode's not for you. Exactly. And, that, and I will just say this. I am a veteran. I used to be very, very pro-war in the, in the sense of I supported both the Iraq and the Afghanistan wars. I know where they're coming from. I don't think America is the bad guy per se. I do believe our government has done some awful things. I do not believe that it's our place to go into somebody else's neighborhood and start telling them how they should live which is effectively what happened when we went into Afghanistan and Iraq. We went into somebody else's backyard and we started sticking our noses in there and telling them what to do. How would we feel if they tried to do that to us? Well, of course we'd fight them. You'd say, well, of course that's what they're doing to us. They're fighting us. Okay. Uh, I'm going to try to give a response. Well, Brian, they attacked us. 
Don't you remember September 11th? Who attacked us, actually? Who specifically attacked us? Osama bin Laden. Did he specifically attack us? No, he lived. It was suicide. Was it radicalized? The, was, was it the Iraqi government that attacked us? Okay. Was it the Afghanistan government that attacked us? No, it was a group of individuals that attacked us. Okay. And you could even argue that it was actually a legitimately heinous evil act. Cool. Well, I mean, it clearly was. So, guess what? So, how do we respond by trying to invade a country? Is that really... By the way, what did Iraq have to do? That? So, we, we could relitigate that if we wanted to, but the point is, nobody is saying within the Libertarian Party that it's okay to attack another country. We're just saying is don't justify it for yourself and then be angry when other people do it to you. Mm. So, hmm. Ron Paul's famous moment, and I'm sorry we're bouncing all over the place, related to this conversation would have been him versus Rudy Giuliani. And I think Giuliani, in that context, in that instance, represented the half of the Republican Party that doesn't uh, look up to Rand Paul and Thomas Massey, the other half, the Dan Crenshaw side, okay? And Giuliani said... Ron Paul you said, owe us an apology for all those people that died. I what, just, what, what stuck with me there was he said, I've never heard that. I, the description Ron Paul gave was, the reason they attacked us is because we had been fucking them up for years. And then Rudy they told Ju- us. Osama Bin Laden t- told us. Specifically exactly. told us the reason they attacked us. Yes, okay, so and Ron Paul said, we heard it. And Rudy Giuliani looked him in the eyes and said, I've never heard that argument. And then everybody in the Republican crowd, not everybody, but some cheered for Rudy Giuliani. And you've got to be thinking like, you've never heard that the reason they attacked us was because we were attacking them? And you guys are cheering for that? So I think that draws a a dividing line. I'm going to go out on a limb here and potentially put off a couple of my libertarian friends for the sake of an argument here because I want to try to be able to relate to some of these Republicans where, let's just say that, the military national, you know, foreign policy is kind of a big deal for them, even if they consider themselves principled on the Constitution. When it comes to foreign wars, and I will say this, that was another good thing that Trump did, was he did a lot of good to dispel this idea that war is a great thing. But for those who are a little bit still stuck on that, I'll just say this. Nobody within the Libertarian Party thinks that 9-11 was okay or was acceptable in any way. We're just saying that there's a right and a wrong way to respond to that. If you're going to attack somebody simply because, now look, you can go after the source of where those hijackers came from, but they were not, that was not a government attack. That was not the government of Afghanistan. That was not the government of Iraq. That was a group of individuals who were upset with us. So you have to look at this in a nuanced perspective and realize what's the right way and the wrong way to respond. When you invade an entire country for the act of a handful of people, Does that really make sense? No, there is a lot more going on there. Let's go a step further. How many people are even aware of that we had bin Laden in the crosshairs within the first couple months of the invasion? Not many. How many people realize that we let him go? That the entire Afghanistan war could have been pretty much done within the first four to five months. Not many people are aware of that. So there's a book, I believe it's called uh, kill bin Laden and it's written by the uh, now uh, deceased uh, the guy that was part of the uh, he was leading the uh, Delta Force group that was going after bin Laden they had bin Laden they knew exactly where he was they had a few different plans to go after him all of them were rejected and the least viable plan was the one that they went with they let him go so for the people that are hung up on this idea 
that you have to fight the bad guys. Even your own government let the bad guy get away. Why? That should tell you all you need to know about how much your government really cares about terrorism. So what's the answer to why? It's because they, the United they States wanted to have a place in Afghanistan for 20-plus years. They wanted a prolonged war. They wanted a prolonged war. And the reason for that is the prolonged money. war, in effect, gives the military-industrial um, complex The military-industrial complex, they grow the, the Federal government. Reserve, the opportunity to issue more debt to other countries and to print more money, much more money, um, and, and it, to not only do that, but to have the support of the American people. I think the propaganda that goes into the Federal Reserve and the military-industrial complex is oftentimes overlooked because this propaganda, this pro-military um, rhetoric we hear ever since we're in kindergarten, it, it builds up and then it turns into people who are with a straight face for defending that we've sent $80 billion to Ukraine right now and nobody even knows what the fuck we're doing. The desire to grow up and serve your country is a noble desire. Why? Because it's the attitude of you value the society that you live in and you want to help preserve it. That is noble. Okay. Here's the problem. Nothing you're doing is preserving liberty. Everything you're doing is advancing the government and its corporate interest. Here's, the, here's how you reconcile that. You think I'm being over the top. Again, you look at all the evidence of everything that led up to 9-11 and after 9-11. How we handled the wars. Everything points to a government that wants war. Not a government that is just simply doing the prudent thing in response, but simply a government that really benefits from war. They are using those instincts that you have, those, those righteous desires of anger to say, hey, look, we want to rectify what happened to us. Cool. You don't think, nobody thinks that 9-11 was good, but they're using that as an excuse, as a catalyst for something bigger and more evil. And you're being, your fears, your emotions are being manipulated because of that. Once you divorce yourself from that idea of a campaign against evil abroad, then you see things for what they are. Would you say it's not too far off from many people who support socialism do so because they care about being a good person? And then they get manipulated into supporting things that they never otherwise would actually support. Do you see a parallel? Absolutely. People in power manipulating the people for their votes. And saying, you're a good person, right? You like living in the United States, right? Then you need to support us sending $80, $80 billion to Ukraine. I can't get over that. How so many people with a straight face will defend that today. I think the, what a lot of it comes down to, and this is something I think I'd like to try to close with for your people to consider. You have to have a very open mind and a fearless approach in asking questions and understanding that you're not going to get a lot of answers that you're going to like. If you're willing to do that, you're going to make a lot of progress in seeing things a different way. If, however, you cling to these ideas in a very strict sense, meaning that you truly believe that fighting terrorism abroad is the right thing to do if you truly believe that the Republican Party is the party for, generally speaking, the better values than the Democrat Party, if you truly believe that government is a force for good, then you're really not going to make any changes. And there's nothing I can say that would ever get you to reconsider. If, however, you're willing to entertain the idea that some of these deeply held beliefs might not be what you thought they were, if you're willing to reconsider with an open mind and ask a lot of tough, critical questions, then you're going to realize, oh, wow, 
a lot of this stuff doesn't add up after all. That's how I got to where I'm at now. I was a big government Bush supporting Republican in the year 2000, 2001. As and was now, I. And now I'm the polar opposite. I voted for Bush in I 2001. Did, I did not wake up this way. This wasn't something that I just flipped the switch on. So you have to keep an open mind and be open to the idea that one, your intentions are valid, but two, the path that you took, the rationalizations that you've made have not brought you to where you need to be or want to be. So when you're saying on one hand, you value limited government, you value all those principles that Republicans talk about, but on the other hand, you're supporting all these Republicans that do the exact opposite, they are incongruent and they are not reconciled by simply saying, well, we just need to get better Republicans. There's something wrong here with the Republican Party as a whole. I want to make sure I, and we are up against it, uh, wrapping up the episode, but before we move on, I want to make sure I'm as accurately as possible representing at least my uh, interpretation of the current state of the Republican Party. Earlier I said there'd be half of people who like Rand Paul and Thomas Massey. The other half would be people who maybe liked Crenshaw. And I can see where you would like Crenshaw. I'm not saying I, I hate those people or anything or they're stupid or anything. Would you say we should really divide it up even more? Maybe there's a MAGA crowd, a Crenshaw crowd, and then a Liberty crowd. Is it maybe we should break it up into thirds? So you have like a, a, a DeSantis, people who'd prefer DeSantis runs, people who'd prefer Trump, and then there's the Liberty-leaning Republicans. What do you think? I want to make sure we, because we're speaking specifically to Republicans. Think, how, how do we uh, compartmentalize them? I think, it, I think it's very simple. There are people who truly value the ideas and principles of limited government but need to find a way to come to terms with that, what that really means versus what they've been doing, and then there's everybody else. Okay. So I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of people, if you truly believe in the ideas of a big, robust military, a strong police force that follows orders all the time, even during a lockdown— if you truly believe that you've got to spend a lot of money for pharmaceutical research, for new vaccines, if you truly believe that you've got to bail businesses out, then you're, yeah, be a, Repu be a good, big government Republican and just own it. That's fine. Be who you are. But if you really truly think that this idea of limited government, staying out of people's business, a free market, you know, personal responsibility, you know, accountability, if those are the values that you truly claim to believe, I think it's perfectly fine that you see some value in Trump. I think it's perfectly fine that you see some value in other people that maybe aren't the best examples of Republicans, like even at some point, Dan Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw, to his credit at times, has made some very, very good arguments for free markets. Sure. However, on I read his else, book. I enjoyed his he's, book. He's pretty terrible. So I will say this. You don't have to hate these people. You just have to understand that they are not the best representatives of the, the values and the policy approaches that you want. Okay. As far as I see it, we should continue to do these types of episodes periodically. And the recurring theme should continue to be trying to speak to... Maybe even in issues like, let's just pick a couple issues, immigration, national security, gun control. We can talk about some ideas where... Maybe I am leaning towards, you know, liberty, but there's a couple issues where I feel like libertarians are 
you know, they take a position that I'm not comfortable with. How do we reconcile that? Okay. Um, for those of our listeners who follow us on social media, of course, you can follow me at Kelly Patrick 502 on Twitter. Brian, is your current Twitter? I uh, have. You've uh, been banned uh, uh, and yeah, then recreated. I'm, not, and I'm just uh, strictly in view mode only, so I'm not really participating. So I'm not really in the Twitterverse anymore. I'm waiting for Elon to uh, give me amnesty. Um, but Brian Fox on Facebook. Correct. Um, anything else? Nope. Just, I hope we, uh, I hope we get some feedback and I hope we can get, you know, do this again and, you know, dive into some more issues. For those of us who follow us online, it, we have recently had a conversation about training martial arts. Yes. So I think, uh, after the uh, holiday season is over with and we find some time, I'm definitely going to, uh, meet you guys at the gym and, uh, we're going to go for a roll on the mats and see how well a, uh, a guy that uh, lists weights and uh, has uh, done a lot of wrestling uh, fares against, you know, somebody else who uh, does a lot of training in jujitsu and see what it's all about. I think it's a great storyline for those who are possibly already following or if have not, we'll give updates as it comes along. Um, and, and I think it's great. So our episode today, once again, devoted to Republican listeners, not trying to alienate anyone. Not at all. Um, instead trying to, because like I said earlier, the Republicans haven't won the, the majority vote in our country since 2004. I don't see them doing it. I think it's Trump real, didn't, certainly I, I did think not. it's really important to emphasize Republican voters who have the values and principles of limited government are not the same as the Republican leadership. And we knew, we know that we want them to know that we want them to realize that and see how that just doesn't, that's not tenable. I love it. I want to thank Brian, thank you very much for coming back on the show. We'll have to do it again sometime soon. Uh, of course, I also want to thank the listeners of The Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, I will have another episode out shortly. Thank you.